You are listening to Mommying While Muslim Podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post-9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mommy One Muslim Podcast. This is Osma Jaffrey. And this is Seba Hassan. And why don't you tell me what the heck is going on with you, my dear friend? Not much. I am uh, trying to do things that scare the hell out of me, mm-hmm. things that I don't know how to do. Okay. Um, and we know that's how kind you of feel about been- that. I mean, no, actually, like, I think professionally, anything that scared me, I always did more of. So, like, babies scared the bejesus Mm -hmm. out of me. So, I went straight into the NICU, and I actually came back as a senior resident to do it again. You know, this really hard, horrible rotation where you're really not going to sleep all night long, um, and you're taking care of sick babies. And sick babies, again, because I didn't have any experience with them until I went into residency, it was so difficult for me. And at that point, when I went back as a senior, I had two children. Yeah, I had two two young mm-hmm. boys. And so they were like, we've never had somebody come back for a second helping of this. Did you really like it or something? I was like, no, I really hated it. And I was petrified the whole time. So that's why I want to do it. Same thing with old people, mm-hmm. right? Old people were really scary. <laughs> You're like, they scare me. I just, they scared me, you know, like the ones that really, you know, sometimes people get confused and they get grumpy at the end of life. Yeah. Well, a lot of it is medication, right? Yeah. 99% of the time their medications are screwy. And then the other stuff is metabolic. And sometimes their behaviors can be very daunting and I didn't know how to do that. So mm-hmm. I did a lot of work in, um, Jero psychiatry, both in residency and definitely obviously in fellowship because I wanted to not be scared. Now that doesn't mean the fear ever goes away, but you know, we tend to, I think, as people want to be sit in that comfort mm-hmm. zone, like whatever feels really good. But I, I think professionally have always nosedived into the hard stuff because I need to know this, you know, because I could kill people if I don't. Yeah. So I can't afford to be scared. My patients can't afford for me to be scared. So there is that. I know personally, um, I say things like, I don't want to exercise and I don't want to <laughs> do this or do that. Like, I don't want to clean. Um, not because I'm scared of it. I mean, generally, because I'm lazy. Uh, so <laughs> You're the least that, lazy but- <laughs> person I know. So let's just take that out of your vocabulary. <laughs> yes, I'll take that out of my vocabulary. But I, I think as I'm aging, I'm finding more joy mm-hmm. in doing things I know nothing about. I love Because that. I found on reflection, mm-hmm. and I don't know if this is true for you too, upon reflection, I feel like everything that I've done that has scared the hell out of me has provided the most joy. Yes. And I think the podcast is one of those things, right? Remember when we first started and how dear in the headlights we were? Oh my God. Remember I was doing dishes the first time we were doing the podcast and you were like, stop (laughs) doing dishes and recording. You're getting on my nerves. And I'm like, I'm multitasking. You're like, you cannot multitask. Yes, yes, exactly. So I don't know, what's your experience been in experiencing scary things or new things? Well, the reality of the situation is every day is a blessing, right? So that's, that's the beautiful thing. And two, growth happens in the margins and pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone, whatever that happens to be. 
Um, and then this month, this past month, obviously that was like financial, you know, numbers scare me as a, a does a lot of people or trying something new or, you know, putting yourself out there or, you know, for us um, at Mommy One Muslim, we're, we're, we're having our first retreat this month, you know, all those things um, in, 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 in doing those things that you're like, oh, are people going to um, accept us? Are people going to do this? And all those things, true growth happens in the margins and, and fear, fear or any kind of emotion helps us act and and coming to action and calling, getting called to action is part of our blessing. And, and there are no, in my opinion, there are no true negative emotion, right? Because all emotion or emoting is a call to action. So I feel like everything, all scary things, is our ability to take our time to reflect, to be introspective and figure out, is it for me? Is it not for me? And trying something new. And, and for you with the NICU, you know, I know you as a person after one decades and literally four plus decades of knowing each other. <laughs> um, that's the truth of us. We've known each other in diapers and really getting to re-know you as um, through this podcasting journey. Um, but really the truth of it is you are one of those where if you feel a little bit intimidated, you're like, I'm going to go and push myself so that I'm no longer intimidated. And that's probably one of your best qualities that I, I, I love about you. Um, and when you joke and you say things like, oh, I'm lazy, I don't like to do X and Y and Z, it's truly because you're like, I just don't want to do that. And you know what you want to do and what you don't want to do. So you you know what your strengths and weaknesses are. And that's not necessarily a negative thing. You kind of know who you are. So you can reframe the narrative and make it a can re- reframe the narrative. That's kind yeah. of what we're here to do. So that's kind of what I feel about trying new and scary things. Um, and, you know, me and scary things in October. <laughs> yes. And as much as I love all things pumpkins and spooky, and we're not going to say the D-G-I-N-N word, because you know what Uzma says about that. No. We're here to remind our, ourselves and our audience that October is also... National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, which is why we're bringing you the October series, Muslims and Domestic Violence, to bring greater awareness and do what we can to eradicate the scourge in our community. And it is huge and very prevalent, despite what people want to say. Um, our very first guest in the series is Mona Kafil. She's executive director of the Texas Muslim Women's Foundation. For 15 years, the TMWF has been the leading the change for domestic violence awareness in the community by providing culturally specific and trauma-informed services, including two 24-7 crisis shelters for survivors of family and domestic violence. um, And she provides training and education of domestic violence. She does online safety for youth mental wellness, financial literacy, women's entrepreneurship. And we love her because we did the American Muslim Women's Giving Circle with her. And the fact that she's so busy, we have to bring her on the podcast to be able to see her beautiful face. (laughs) We are so excited to have her here today. Assalamu alaikum, Mona, and welcome to Momming Well Muslim. Assalamu alaikum. Hey, Assalamu alaikum, Zeba. Assalamu alaikum, Uzma. I am so, so honored that I'm in your group and and uh, being called to talk about my passion. So 
I can talk yeah, all day. Yeah. You would tell me when to <laughs> we, will, we will definitely do that. But honestly, when Domestic Violence Awareness Month came up, the first person that sprang to our mind mm-hmm. was Monica Phil. So, you know, there is that. We're so, mm-hmm. so happy to have you on and, you know, that you made time out of your busy, busy day helping people to come on. It, it, it just means a whole lot to us. Thank you. Um, so we'd like to kick off the podcast by asking our guests a little bit about their momming journey, whatever they're comfortable sharing about their kids and their momming philosophy. Absolutely. And you know what? I Today is a very good day. So I have two children, uh, 26 and 20, going on 21. Um, my And they're fiercely independent. And I tell you, I, I don't talk about parenting. I tell people that they're the ones who are guiding me to parenting them. Uh-huh. And I think it is so, they challenge me on my professional life, <laughs> personal life, my faith. The questions they ask about faith, I have to go back and learn and relearn. Yes. So they're the ones telling me how to be a better parent at this point. Um, challenging on all levels. And, and I think they're good children, they're good people. Um, and my philosophy since the beginning, don't come to me with a complaint. Come to me with a solution. Oh, I love right? that. I, I, especially with with bigger issues, right? Okay, friends, school, all right. Maybe I may be able to help you. But bigger things, what happens in some other country? Why are you upset because of whatever reason? So come up with a solution. And uh, my daughter said, all right. And, and she... she um, graduated in journalism. She was taking a health track and she said, nope, I need to be a voice. So journalism and social media. So she's very happy, very content in that, you know, in that space. And, and the, the best news that a mother can hear from her son. And I heard it today <laughs> in a meeting while I was in a meeting. Um, so he's a junior at Indiana University and uh, he said I wanted to be in a business fraternity and I had all my guards and everything open right like like okay I don't know he's so far away I can't even check on him so yeah Allah help <laughs> so for a year he was in the fraternity and this year he became the fraternity's president and now it's a business fraternity where there are young girls and boys and he's been talking to the university or the fraternity folks and he's he brought in a training on sexual assault mm. and he's making that as part of the fraternity initiation i was like he was listening to me somewhere yes. no, somewhere i heard you that is amazing mashallah i'd be in tears <laughs> so um you know he and he's saying that uh, because we have girls as well as boys um, and there were, he said that initially um, there were 150 kids who went through this training. And he said that I will make sure that they are held yes. accountable for any complaint that comes in. So I said prevention. Yeah. And this is my work. Unless we work on prevention, we can open up shelter after shelter after matter. shelter. So that's my mommy I journey. Love <laughs> oh my gosh. 
Yeah. I can't wait until we reach that thing. point. Uh, that's crazy. Crazy. Awesome. Cause we're, you know, Zeba and I talk a lot about on the podcast, raising good sons yes. so that we have a chance of eradicating some of these abuses that happen in, you know, especially to women. Cause I mean, let's face it, women, children, elderly, those are the vulnerable populations in any community, in any society. Mm-hmm. And so if we don't train better sons, to be better men, you know, it's just not going to happen. And that's, that's where we have to start working so, so hard. And honestly, mothers being, uh, mothers holding them yes. accountable so many times. Yes. We, as we don't mothers, do it. We, we don't do it. They become mama's no. boys and they're like, oh, it's okay. Yeah. And my blah, baby blah, blah. would never, yeah, not no. my baby. It's like, no, even if it's your own right. family, it is incumbent upon yeah. us as Muslims to report yes. and hold accountable. So it was my, I was looking at my 401k materials and getting a little overwhelmed. Oh, I know what you mean. It can look like chaos. And none of the choices were halal. It's kind of a disaster. You know about the amount of funds though, right? Wait, no. What? Well, if your plan has a brokerage option, it's likely you can choose them through that, but you can also invest directly with them. They're halal? You bet. They're the oldest and largest Islamically acceptable funds in the U.S. Sharia certified, the whole deal. We want to thank Amana Funds for sponsoring this episode. Here's what you need to know. Please consider an investment's objectives, risks, charges, and expenses carefully before investing. To obtain this and other important information about Amana Mutual Funds in a current prospectus or summary prospectus, please visit www.amanafunds.com or call toll-free 1-800-728-8762. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. Distributed by Saturna Brokerage Services Incorporated, member of FINRA, and a wholly owned subsidiary of Saturna Capital, investment advisor to the Amana Mutual Funds. So tell us a little bit, um, our audience, about your family background and maybe what kind of laid the foundation for the work that you do now. Mm-hmm. Well, I um, I had initially come to U.S. for my studies from Pakistan. Originally, I am from Pakistan. So is my husband. And we'd gone back, we'd gotten married with our first child. And then the security situation in Pakistan was so, um, it was not secure area. It was not secure at all. So we decided that, all right, we'll make that move and move to Dallas. And since then, we've been here. We have both our families here. My when my daughter was young and exactly in the same shoes that you all are in, I wanted my daughter to see you know, Muslim faces, and I'm talking about early 2000s, in schools, in areas, there was no such thing as halal, as prevalent as we do. So food, the culture, and this organization, Texas Muslim Women's Foundation, was the only one where I saw a Muslim name, women name. I said, this is it. I really want my daughter to volunteer and be part of that organization as a youth. So when I was, uh, and uh, I would pick and drop her to different volunteer uh, opportunities that uh, was provided. And then I realized that this organization was only two years old. Mm. And um, I said, well, you know what? Okay, when I, you know, exactly. When I drop her, I might as well put myself to work and then pick her Mm -hmm. and go back. So that's when I started to volunteer. And I volunteered. It was very new. The mission really spoke to me because... No matter what, I have come from a heavy matriarchal family, right? Um, So my grandmother, my mother, 
all education has always been number one and making sure that women are standing next to men we partner with men and and create families creating communities so that was it i said all right we i have to do more in in this organization um and then like they say the rest is history <laughs> from volunteer to board to staff once i got hooked on and again just realizing that um all your in all of your days worth if you're saving somebody that your your life mission yes. is done right that's so important you uh, if you are blessed i was blessed that my husband never asked me uh to make sure that you know hey food is on the table it's there he's he's always helped me cook um he's helped me parent so that blessing has to go yes. somewhere i just can't be complaining or can't be just saying okay this is it i have to move that support elsewhere and and tmwf is where i decided all right the hours that he's giving me i have to move them and get them put them to good use yeah so, of, absolutely yeah. the concept of paying it forward so, i love that i i absolutely love that why do you feel that dv or domestic violence remains such a huge problem in muslim american communities um and why do you feel like we don't want to talk about it or or that we still kind of sweep it under the rug but it's so prevalent right now it's horrifying when you see the numbers uh, across, across the, the board, board and even in muslim right one in four or one in three it's a huge number and when one thing that i always say if you if you are at a at a dinner party at a dawat all right you have 20 people and when the numbers are one in three some of them yeah. are going through it that that really you know uh, brings the point that it is so prevalent why a time and again time and again every time few things it is still a family matter it is still um if you are the one who's going to leave the situation you're the bad person you can't hold the family together and th- these are all well women are to be blamed too but these are all male narratives that if you are the one leaving the abusive situation you're the you are the one breaking the family but the one who's abusing is not yes. breaking the family so that's the first tier of issues that i hear again and again and again then the second tier even if somebody says all right okay i will leave the situation my family is supporting me the second tier is where do i get the help people don't understand my culture if i go to mainstream uh, organizations how do i cook because the pork is being cooked people might uh, um, not understand if i'm wearing a hijab what do i do so that's another layer where these women stay mm-hmm. with the abusive situation so that's the thir- uh, second layer because they don't want to perpetuate oh yeah these are muslim women muslim men are abusive well no this is across the board muslim men yes but this is also across the board too so we don't want to feed into that stereotyping that's another layer and the last one is lack of education uzma and zeba i can tell you one thing that you i would want you to add that as part of your own journey explaining it to people what is abuse because it's not just physical so many- right because a lot of people think if it's a physical mark 
that, oh, it's abuse. It's so it's spiritual. It's financial. It's emotional. There's so many things that doesn't have to be a tangible, a tangible, physical um, mark. Yeah. Right. There are so many women, they would say, well, uh, you know what? Um, he's very nice to me. The only thing is he takes my money, doesn't give me... He's nice. He's a nice person. And you know, this thing happens to people who are good at heart because they keep giving uh, benefit of the doubt. Yes, this, yes, this time. Yes, this time. Right, right. And I'll give you one example. I'm talking about a, a lady who's trafficked. All right. There is domestic servitude, trafficking so prevalent, even within our own community. We bring in helpers from different parts of the world we don't pay them enough we don't give them uh you know enough uh place to stay so i'm speaking with this lady and i'm telling i'm trying to ask her was she physically abused also and she straight up said no but then she's saying you know they never allowed me to fast and never allowed me to pray i said well why um they said that because, you know, uh, the lady would say that, well, if you fast, how will you help my children? So you have to make sure that they are co their food is cooked, whatever. So I, I was never allowed. This is my first year that I fasted after, I don't know, 10, 20 years. And I said, do you realize there is a word for it in America? It's called spiritual abuse. And she looks at my face and she, it's a blank face. It literally is a blank face. So for you all, when you're speaking, you have to define these things. What is spiritual abuse? That's a good point. What is financial abuse? People don't know. These labels are still so high that they don't understand that this is actually happening to me. And and it's a very clear divide. For, for me, when I hear I have so many friends, even myself, I fight with my husband every day. <laughs> exactly. That's normal. All right. Every other thing. We'll especially when they work from home especially when they work from home Mona <laughs> this is Zeva so <laughs> this is the hill she's gonna die on <laughs> uh, one hour fight of which movie to oh, yes. yeah. That's, and then I fall asleep and then I fall asleep and then he's like why yeah. do you fight with me and then fall asleep <laughs> there you yeah. go there you go but the difference is, uh, are you walking around anxious? Mm -hmm. Are you afraid yeah. that uh, after this bickering, will you have to fear? Yes. Are you? That's the yeah. difference, right? I can I can tell you, I've been married 26 years and I don't think there are days when we have never fought. But do I still feel safe in my marriage? Yes, I do. It's the, it's the feeling that I will not be safe things will be used against me, that defines an abuse. Yeah, I think it's going to be important for us to to put that out on our social media this month, like yes. the different definitions. Yeah, that's a good, of, very good at The point. different types of abuse that are out, you know, just short, sweet um, snippets that people can understand. So that, like you said, they at least have the language. As Zeba likes to say, you got to name it to tame it. Because yeah. if it's just this nebulous thing, you know, you're not able to put names on it. Like as we've grown older, there've been so many concepts that have now been named like imposter syndrome mm -hmm. and um, gaslighting, mm -hmm. things that we experienced and we never knew what they were called. And mm -hmm. now thankfully there are names for it. And I think these types of abuses have had names for decades, but as a community, mm -hmm. we just have never, never decided to call it out. 
you know, first of all, Zeba mm-hmm. and I were children. So it's like, we never could whenever we saw it. And then as we were growing older mm-hmm. now, you know, we're able to help our friends a little bit better identify it, but you know, it just still seems like you said that first tier where these people don't want to break the household that's already been broken by somebody else, um, either their actions or their, their words. So, um, you've talked about, uh, domestic violence, just the overall umbrella, and we're not even talking about the specific types, but anytime like Zeba and I hear about it, you hear about it, you know, it's draining because it really hits home. Like we can really put ourselves in that woman's position and feel her desperation, but that's us as women and as mothers. What has been your experience with the men in your community? Because, you know, TMWF is responding to these acute cases where women are often victimized. What has been the men in the Muslim community? How have they stepped up or how have they spoken about this or reacted to these acute cases that you encounter daily? Uh, I would say 15 years ago, we heard, we were um, stonewalled by all the Muslims. Mm. And we were labeled as uh, sisters breaking the family. Mm-hmm. The homewreckers, yes. Yeah. So... Right. That's I think that's the first thing that comes to your mind. And time and again, we we stayed our ground. We stayed our ground. Um, We continue our services to a point now the masjids and we train the imams. We train and go to the masjids because they've seen that we are not breaking the family. The guy (laughs) who's doing it is breaking the family. And a lot of times these Imams have been threatened by these Mm -hmm. abusers. So that's another layer that they have to worry about it. So we have been able to uh, get so many imams. So when imam speaks from the pulpit on domestic violence, men listen. And we have masjid, we have advisory, we have male allies. They are literally on a speed dial for us. They will speak on our behalf. They will do fundraising on our behalf. Whatever needs to be done, they will. They are good men around. And, and and also, keep in mind, there are so many men that they have seen their sisters being mm-hmm. abused, their daughters being abused. Those men are our allies because they've seen it firsthand. So um, I would say, alhamdulillah, in Dallas-Fort Worth area, we have more male allies than we can ever, uh, we ever thought of. Uh, masjid members, shuras, because these cases are so prevalent. And when they come to them, then, you know, they it's easy for them to route. And they've seen how we manage the cases. It's like we help them. We're not breaking the family. I mean, I would love for us to be out of business. Yeah, inshallah. I would One love day. for me to just, you know, ha, close the door. We don't need it. We, need, we don't need these services. Yeah. Uh, but male allies are critical. Because some, I'll tell you, a lot of imams say that there are men who will only listen to imams. They will not listen to me, no matter how many experiences, uh, worth of experiences I have. They will only listen to imams. So we need imams to be on our side. We need uh, senior men influencers in the community. So I'm doing outreach everywhere. So from Florida to California to even Utah, I'm going in different places and kind of rallying the men because they become the first responders. 
So we have to equip them how to handle these cases. So we're, we're lucky, we're very blessed that we have male allies. We do. That makes my heart really happy because I know when we were growing up, the imams, you're right, they were the only ones, the leadership, mm -hmm. I guess, in the early days when there right. were a lot of Muslims. And I'm also from Texas. And the imams would mm -hmm. always say, be patient, sister. Yeah. And so these sisters would continue to be exploited and abused. And the families, I mean, the kids grew up with me and not in a good way. You know, they, uh, they went their separate routes and suffered yeah. as a result of the trauma. You know, you, you, it's sad, right? Because it, it, it perpetuates the cycles, right? Like, the, like Ozma says, it's a, until you break the cycle, until you t physically remove the mother and essentially the children and help them recognize that this is not a normal way of living, it's going to continue on for generations to come. And that's what people, you're, they're saying you're breaking the family, but really what you're doing is perpetuating the abuse for multiple generations to come. So the fact that you're doing this work is an amazing thing. Um, so, you know, I, I love that this is now becoming more prevalent in our communities and there are now more domestic violence shelters in Muslim communities coming up. Um, so the question that I have, because, you know, we're, we're, we hear these stories and, and very recently the death of a couple of sisters, I, I believe they're in, in Milwaukee and things. And by the way, they were begging and asking for, for help and, and they couldn't get it. You know, and this is not me asking um, from a perspective of victim blaming, but, th but do you find as somebody who works um, very closely with these women, are there any characteristic traits that you find with those clients that are, um, that they have in common, that they implicitly share, that we can kind of um, see patterns of behaviors, that they're more likely to be victimized? Yes, yes, and yes. Uh, we live in a country where everyone and every, uh, every person or a group of people are profiled. Okay. So we have a profile of an abuser. Okay. And we also have a profile of a victim or we call them survivors okay. because they leave the situation. So they're survivors, right? So yes, they are. So a profile of an abuser is when you in your friends or family, if somebody is getting married or somebody's engaged or, or going out or whatever relationship they have, and you see that they are slowly becoming isolated, mm. first sign, first sign. The, the power of an abuser is isolating women. So you see that, and I've seen my friends that, you know, what they've stopped coming to the gathering. They've stopped smiling. Mm. They've stopped. Oh, and very good excuses. Well, my husband wants this. Oh, I am busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. Mm -hmm. But the result is isolation. That's number one. And number one flag. Number two, these days, the mental health so prevalent. You cannot, cannot, cannot even guess how prevalent every household has. Well, a lot of people have personality disorders. So if, if you see a young couple, a boy or a girl in school and colleges, if their pattern of behavior is slightly off, you should have your guards mm. up. You shouldn't be in a place to judge 
but you should be in a place that I'm aware that this is not normal. Something is happening. That's a non-judgment view of you see the fact. And I'm telling you, like you're saying, people coming from abused families, there's their kids act out yeah. in school from elementary to middle school. And they, they are either bullied or they bullies. become yeah. bullies. So those are some of the indicators early on, very early on, right? And victims, number one, either they have gone, even their families, maybe their, the mother, this is their home culture that uh, the one spouse has always been abusive. So they take it and they take it. And whether it is school environment, they'll be fine if somebody's bullying them and they are good at heart. They will listen. So they, they are in a vulnerable situation where the other can bully them. So those are some very basic profile. The other, let's say, uh, older group of women that do become victim is when people marry them from their country and bring them here. Mm-hmm. And literally, for lack of better words, lock yep. them in. No social circle, no outward oh, uh, socializing. So that's another one. People being brought here. And people being brought here on second marriage, third marriage. And the women there are in desperate situation because of poverty. Many sisters, many widowed families, they will say, oh, you know what, what an opportunity. Doesn't matter second or third marriage. So when they come here, they are being abused. So lack. And then the third one, which which really is a trigger for me, when parents do not teach their girls life skills. That is where we fail as South Asian or even Middle Eastern people that we we feel that if I will give my daughter those tools, she will be so independent that she will not be in control. No, there is a middle way also. I've seen so many I've seen so many young girls, they don't know how to navigate their life because from parents' control, they went to husband's control. And parents you, I know I'm, I'm going to say a word in English uh, and Urdu. So many uh, Quranic, the ladies who give dars, their prayer is, Allah humko betiyon ke boj se farik kare. The minute you say, boj is, this essentially are saying, may Allah help us rid our burden of daughters. This is in our mind that betiya equates boj. This is our culture. So those girls, some of them, do get abused. Uh, I don't. I did not realize that in these prayer circles, that is one of the prayers that is made. Because, I mean, I've heard the whole daughters are burdens, too. And yes. uh, ridiculous things, like when your daughter hits puberty, you can't sleep at night because, you know, how are you going to get her married? And how are you going to protect her virginity for the next however long it is? And it's like, it's not, that's not your job. Your job is to equip your daughter to protect her own virginity because you could die today, you know, and this is just really hitting home. And I see why this is a trigger point for you because it's definitely for Zeba and me, especially because today on the day of recording is what National Daughters Day. (laughs) (laughs) What a terrible thing to call any of your children, much less the female children, because why is she more burdensome when 
you know, it's your sons that have so much more license to be independent of you, even Islamically, and to do things like marry without your permission, which could break your heart, you know, but they have that Islamic right to do it. Your daughters, on the other hand, are so much more in your control. And now on top of that, to call them a burden and make them somebody else's problem. I was watching something on social media um, and it was really good. I think it was simply just Sarah who just made a reel on this. And she's like, kind of like nodding her head to the music and the caption is reading um, Muslim parents won't let their children have dog, won't let their daughters have dogs, but they'll let them marry one. Ah, oh, I was like, that's amazing. Yes. You would rather a dog raise your daughter than your daughter be happy, independent, yeah. um, still has contact with you. And most importantly, Oh my God, she's happy. You know, like, on her own, it is possible for a woman to be happy on her own. And I think now I'm seeing more um, uh, more families, like parents my age with marriageable children, who are of that mindset, that it is perfectly possible for my daughter to be financially independent, socially independent, religiously independent, but that's not a bad thing. Those are all good things that are going to help her build a stronger Muslim family and a stronger Muslim household when she chooses to do it. You know, and it's just, yeah, I can see that that parental mindset and that kind of prayer can be so destructive to a young girl's, her psyche, you know. And, you know, there are so many women who come through our shelter and they are so hurt that their faith has betrayed them. Their faith has betrayed them. Of course it has. Because Because you're going to equate faith with uh, that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That and then even uh, even imams, all right, a lot of imams, out of ignorance and out of lack of training, they've said things that have broken these women's heart, that they, they've left their faith. Yeah. Because it's like, faith says this about, keep families together. What will you do? How will you live by yourself? Keep, keep your family together. He's angry, so deal with it. You have better, whatever. So, so many women, they said, we, we don't want to go to masjids. Mm-hmm. This is what has happened. This is what masjids have given us. So our masjids have become, for a lot of women, a, a point where they will never go mm-hmm. back. Yeah. So is that how we, we manage the inclusivity? And training is needed, right? We still, the, some of the imams are still, if you see, and that they still feel, let's do mediation. Right. Let's do mediation. So here's the thing, right? And you being in in a field where you know that if you are a um, if you are a, an oncologist, you will not be able to deal with uh, somebody who's gone through head trauma. Everyone has a specialty. All right. Same thing. If somebody is telling you, "I'm going through domestic violence," he's beating me up. You cannot tell them to sit and mediate because in that meeting, the abuser will take over. Mm-hmm. So an imam still think mediation is better option. And that is another major issue within our faith communities. You cannot. I've had clients after clients and one of them said that my imam told my husband and myself and my 21-year-old son to sit together and mediate. And during that, the husband was so explicit why he hates his wife. And he kept on giving bedroom details in front of the son 
in front of the imam, the woman was mortified and um, the son is on antidepressants. He has his own anxiety now. He's gone through another trauma because an imam was not able to understand the situation. You cannot put the mediation where there's so much abuse going on. Right. So yeah, a lot of education. <laughs> Safety is paramount. Our dream is coming to fruition and it's only a few months away. We've always talked about it. We always have had people come and contact us for many women, self-care, mental health, physical fitness, often take the back seat. And we decided at Mommy Well Muslim to collaborate with Moxie Living and do something about it. And guess what we're doing about it? I am inviting everybody here to join our weekend retreat. It's October 14th through the 16th, 2022. It's going to be a, a, in an urban oasis, just minutes from DC. And our whole point is for you to rediscover your identity in your current life phase because your mind, body, and your soul deserve it. So visit www dot mommingwallmuslim.com forward slash retreat and we will look for you there so you're talking about you know specialized training for like imams and leaders in the community but you know our sons aren't there yet for Zeba and myself I mean she's got one who's you know now an adult legally but you know we're still very concerned as moms of three sons what do we start doing now like at our kitchen tables like at our family helicopter whatever we have you know, how do we start training these young men right now? Kind of like what I would love is for my son to grow up and start his own, like, you know, female, uh, you know, anti-harassment policies and stuff like that. And, you know, provide training um, about domestic violence in the Masjid one day. I would love for my son to do that, but I don't know what I have to plant today for that to happen. So tell us how we do that. I tell you, uh, first of all, know that you as mothers have the power. Oh, yeah. All right. A lot of mothers feel it's it's male men's fault. Well, we are raising men. Exactly. We are raising tomorrow's men. So it, it, we have that power to change the narrative. And I think talking about relationship, I'm sure you probably do that. Sitting at a table and talking about what is a wrong relationship and what is right. What is and no teaching moment and I, I know that's what my son has been hearing from me all the time. What is right and respectful? I've never given him lecture at all. But at a dinner table, you know, those conversations of what is right and what is wrong. And they they take that on their own. And they, you know what? They're eating. They're not paying attention. Yeah. They're running around. But yeah. it's going in. Yeah. <laughs> they're fighting with their brother. Like your elbows and my, you know, plate space. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> But it is going in. Okay. It is going in. So um, it comes around when they're, I think, after 18, when the surge of hormones is also happening with them. Yes, but yes. yeah, that comes around. Yeah. Believe me, it will. it will. I mean, so far, like what we've been able to do, and the only thing we really know how to do, at least I'm speaking for my husband and myself, yeah. is modeling what a healthy relationship yes. looks like. Because, you know, we're never going to swear at each other in front of the children. We try never ever to fight or raise our voices uh, around each other, around the children. And I will say 
my husband's a lot better at that than I am. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm just going to admit it. Like I'm the loud belligerent parent. Uh, and my kids recognize that they're always like, why can't you be as chill as Abu? But together as a unit, they know that we are a united front and that we work together and are very much partners in everything. And, um, I think that's really all that we've been able to do because early on we had agreed before we had kids, we're not going to fight in front of the children because we had grown up in a household where that was normalized and we just did not want um, any kind of um, mimicking of that behavior, that toxic behavior to be carried forward. So that's where we were able to break the cycle. But I still worry because, you know, especially my two older ones are out for eight hours a day with other people. And now one of them is in high school and they're seeing dating and, you know, I remember growing up in middle school and high school, seeing a lot of toxic relationships start right there where, you know, my friends were already being abused as young as 13, 14 Mm -hmm. in these relationships. Like he's wrong for you. He's so bad for you. What are you doing? Like we're in honors classes. We're so smart. Like, I don't understand how you can't see this. Um, So that's just, it's never too early, I think, to start that training. And that's what I'm afraid of for my sons. I don't know. How do you feel, Zeva? No, you know, let me reframe a little bit. I think it's okay to let your kids see you argue because they also have to be able to see um, positive, constructive ways of one, being able to have a disagreement, right? That's one. And two, being able to model the, the, the being able to make up the, the conclusion the being and being able to, to model that as well. Um, and two, the fact that we have daughters Showing your sons that you have um, the respect for your daughters is huge and that they need to respect their sister is also huge. Um, The number one thing that I love is that, you know, my son might not answer maybe my text right away, but he will answer his sister's text within a heartbeat because he knows if he she texts him. That means she needs him. And I love and respect that. And part of that is because he sees himself in that caretaking role. So, you know, you can model that as well when you're a mom. And and that was one of the things we've always said is that you are her protector on some level. She can protect herself, but you're also there if we're not there this is part of that. So I, I, that's kind of how I feel because I love that you said that the modeling, um, respecting your daughter as an equal citizen in the household, my sons have to unload the dishwasher as well as my daughter. Um, they have to take out the trash as well as my daughter. Um, these types of things, um, it's equal, you know, maybe the time commitment is different depending on what they have to do in their course load, but it's not divided on gender bias at all. Like you said, Mona, like I loved when you said your husband did different things, um, in the house, depending on time, same with my husband, if I'm home, you know, and I want to cook dinner or whatever. He doesn't cook because he hates cooking, but he'll put away the dishes. <laughs> I will DoorDash re- beautifully. <laughs> we, they will DoorDash beautifully. I will have to redo some of the dishes that he puts in. But we're both equally part of a household. And those are the types of things I think that n- needs to be reframed and remodeled as we're all, you know, a lot of us are dual income 
um, households. We're doing different types of things. We're respecting, even if you're volunteering or you're doing things in the household, you're respecting what you're contributing to the household, whether you're being paid or not being paid. So those are all things that we have to do and make commonplace in our communities. And I think that respect level is what's going to start changing the narrative in our family. So I just wanted to tap, um, tag on to that. The change starts yeah. from us. Yeah, yeah. And we absolutely have the power to make a difference. So I love that you've, you know, given it back to the audience and made them now responsible and inshallah accountable for, yeah, we're not going to be accountable for our children's actions as adults, but we are definitely accountable for the training that we do provide and do not provide because we have the knowledge. We are now responsible for sharing that knowledge and for living it. So I hope that everybody who hears this is able to do that and is able to support TMWF whose um, links we will have in our show notes because it's a great organization, well-established and well-supported by the DFW community and Mona's in charge. So you definitely want to support it. We'll have those links in our show notes, but we want to kick into after all of the heaviness and like, you know, I feel like I was yelling at at you audience. So let's make it fun and start our rapid fire segment, which is a fun set of questions that we asked to get to know you better, Mona. And it is time. So it is 90 seconds and it's first answer is always going to be the correct answer. Okay. So don't think too hard about it. It's not a test. It's just rapid fire. Okay. So the first question we always ask everybody is, what book are you reading right now? See No Stranger. See No Stranger. By Valerie Thor. I love the book art. I know. It's beautiful. Okay. We'll have to add that to our list. So when you were a kid, what did you dream about being when you grew up? I was made to dream about nature and uh, something to do with botany because my mother is a researcher. Oh my gosh. You were going to be a botanist. Oh, I remember that class in um, college. That was super duper hard. Not as easy as you think, folks. Um, if you could win an Olympic medal in any sport, real or fake, what would it be? Mm. Table oh, tennis. Really? <laughs> You're a good table tennis player? I have to come and visit now. BMWF, and I have to see because I, I suck at it. I could use all the training there is. Um, um, if you could eat one meal, one dish three times a day for the rest of your life, and that's the only dish you could eat, what would it be? All right, ice cream. Ooh, ah, no brainer. Yes. A yes. woman after my own heart. I love it. Um, and then what was the last emoji that you used? Last emoji is heart because my son was telling me about this work. <laughs> we love that too. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you did great on that rapid fire. That was like rapid. I love it. A lot of people like stop and think and it's like, no, 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 just go with your gut because that's where the answers usually lie. So we appreciate you going with your gut and, you know, staying at TMWF with your daughter and making use of mommy daughter time and creating a whole career for it, for yourself and a beautiful resource for the community. Um, a model for the rest of us to follow wherever we are. So Jazakallah Khair for all of that. And we can't wait to have you back. Um, thank you thank you so much thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzma on Momming While Muslim today please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode and remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow tune in next week for another episode of Momming While Muslim Assalamu alaikum everyone